Good afternoon, everybody. This is John Barrows. Make it happen Monday. Hopefully, you had a good weekend. I'm just getting back from where the hell was I this week? Uh, uh, Dublin and I and, and uh, London. So, on a little bit of a different time zone. But I am fired up to have my guest today, my brother from another mother, Rob Jepson, over at Exvoyant. What's up, my man? How you doing? John, what's up, JB? So good to be with you and welcome. Uh, also, thanks for having me with the Make It Happen Monday crowd. I love the whole community. The content you spit out is fire. The engagement you get is amazing. And you're right. We are brothers, man. And, and I love every minute I get to spend with you. And I'm so excited to spend a little time with you today, my man. Likewise, my friend, I always enjoy our conversations. I think the challenge on this one's going to be to keep this within a half hour, 45 minutes, right? Because I think you and I could shoot the shit for at least a couple of days here on some of these topics. We've done that before. I know we have. So so let's let's get right to it. So this is going to be all about coaching, which um, I think everybody recognizes is probably one of the most important things a manager can do, but it's one of the least... Uh, uh, it's one of the least things that managers do these days, at least in my experience. And uh, and I'm going to come at this with a context of, of myself personally, right? So, you know, I'm I'm running Jay Barrows here. I hired Morgan a couple years ago. Um, if I had all the time in the world, like, and Morgan, don't get me wrong, like Morgan's progressing really, really well. Like he's going from an SDR and SDR manager, and now I got him in full cycle sales, and he's doing training and he's doing everything, right? And he's he is progressing faster than most. But I know for a fact that if I was able to spend, you know, two, three real days with him on a weekly basis and, and actively coaching him, that his ramp would be 5x what it is right now. So, so let's talk about the, the current state of, of, of coaching right now and, and the importance of it. Because, well, first of all, for those of you who don't know you, uh, which if you don't know Rob, you, you should be ashamed of yourself. But Rob, talk to me about what you're doing over at Exvoyant and then talk to me about where you see coaching and managing these days. Okay. First of all, again, thanks. Listen, John, the reason we get along so well is I feel like we're really kindreds in what you're doing for salespeople and what we do for managers. And there's a lot of emphasis on sales engagement. There's a lot of emphasis on sales activities. I believe you're the best in the world at what you do and helping salespeople learn how to fill that funnel and then drive to close. What we do is we come in and we help companies create structure around how managers help reps intentionally improve. And that's what we do. We, we help them add structure and also remove the administrative burden. We have a piece of technology that sits native in your Salesforce system, makes it really easy for reps to see where their areas for biggest improvement. But more than that, we give your leaders an opportunity to have who should I coach? What part of the process should we be coaching? What deals should we be coaching? We'll talk about that. You and I see eye to eye. Deal coaching and deal chasing, two different things. Yeah. Um, but mostly it's this. How do we move away from the mindset of just more activities to more purpose-driven activities? Because if you can add more purpose to your activities, I rarely find lazy people, John. I mean, the, we're in a world where the, where the reps are, they're in sales because they want to work hard. They want to be successful. Most of them just don't know how. And so I see a shift to coaching. I see some things that scare me a little bit, John, because people are still looking at old data. But here's what I found. The companies that actually build process around how their managers go about their business, just like they've done about how their reps go around their business, they're the ones that build a dynasty. So you and me, we're dynasty builders, brother. Yeah. And uh, that's that's what I love about what we do. We help build dynasties. I love it, man. And I, and I think, so let's start with the root of the problem here, right? I, in my opinion, and you, and you correct me if I'm wrong, you know this better than I do, but I think the root of the problem sits with... Uh, the fact that most of the time uh, managers get promoted because they're the best rep, 
right? So they were the best rep at whatever they did. You know, they killed their numbers and then they got promoted to be a manager. And then those managers are now being told, okay, now tell everybody to do what you, how to do what you do. And the problem with that is, you know, and you hear me talk a lot about art versus science and all that other stuff. A lot of times those best reps are, are to a certain degree, the artists, right? They, they just have that innate ability to connect with people, know where to manage their time, those type of things. And now they have to come and tell everybody to do what they did. And it's hard for them to translate that because they're not, they're in that quadrant of unconsciously competent, right? They, they, they just know how to do what they do. Whereas I think the best managers are the consciously competent ones. They might be the B plus A minus reps, but they know exactly how they got to their number, exactly what they need to do. And they can replicate that process. But we get the A reps report, you know, the artists, and then they sit there and they don't know how to do anything other than deal chase. So they end up deal chasing and, and jumping in on deals to help close because that's the shortest term response. You know, that's the shortest term thing that they can do to show value, but they don't know how to coach. So there's the root of the problem. And I write it wrong. You're, you're dead on. In fact, please finish your story. The way you do the root of the problem is the best I've ever heard. I quote you all the time, John. Talk about Picasso to your guests for a second. <laughs> yeah. I love yeah. the Picasso analogy. I thought you were going to go there. I think it sets up our conversation really well. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I, I've always, I was an artist when I was, I mean, well, <laughs> my first major was art in college. Right. And, and Picasso blows my mind, but Picasso, you know, I could never be Picasso. There's no way I could ever be Picasso. Okay. But I always say, if you have a paint by numbers and you tell me put ye yellow here, red there, orange there, and get me most of the way there and then allow me to kind of smooth out the colors a little bit, I'll come pretty damn close. And I think, it, you know, a good analogy, I don't know if you've seen this, you know, those paint nights, you, you ever done a paint night where you go to a bar and somebody shows you how to paint a painting, that yep. type of thing? Yep. So they're a blast to do, right? Yep. And, and it's funny because my wife is the exact opposite of an artist. Like she's a, she's a scientist and she literally sucks at art. Okay. But we go to one of these paint night things, right? And they, the, the, the guy picks up, you know, like a Monet and you're looking at it like, oh my God, like how in the world could I paint that? Like that's a Monet. There's no way I could even come close. But then the artist, then the teacher, if you will, says, okay, <clears throat> take your, take your, this brush number three, dip it in yellow or whatever it is and, and swap the bottom of it, the whole bottom third of the page. Okay. Now take blue and do the corner this way and take yellow and do it this way. And then by the end, you know, we don't all look like Monet, but it, they're all, they, you can tell, like, that's that's pretty damn close. Yep. And I think that's what we as, as sales leaders need to figure out a way to do is put the structure in place so we can rise all tides, right? So everybody can come pretty damn close. And not, look, those Picassos are going to be those Picassos. But but I think that if, if we can get the kind of the non-Picassos that much better or so that much closer, we have a chance, right? I couldn't agree more. That's why I'm glad you finished the story with that. First of all, it's awesome. And I love it. And I quote you on it all the time. I think that if your listeners and you and me start talking about this, the first thing is we think Picasso is going to be the great leader. And the answer is Picasso's probably a shitty leader. He's a killer artist, maybe the greatest artist. And as soon as you have him stop doing art and frustrated with these scientists, they're like, here's what I found, John, you tell me what you see. Cause you work with, tons of, of these people. I found that when Picasso tries to be a leader, here's what I've seen. One of two things happen. They think either, if you can't do what I can do, if you can't print your own Monet or whatever piece of art, that either you are dumb mm -hmm. or you're lazy. They think mm -hmm. it's one of those two. You're either not working hard enough or you're not smart enough for the job. And my experience, John, has been it's neither. 
They just need a leader to push the how button instead of the more button. And I believe that we always get the more button. As salespeople, you and me, and everybody that's listening to this, when we went into sales, John, we signed up for the more button, okay? If you don't like the more button, get the hell out of sales, okay? Our job is to fuel the growth of companies. But the mistake is not button one, the mistake is button two, because we only push the activity button. We say more activities, more activities, more activities. I'm a believer in sales engagement. You know I love what the guys at Sales Loft and, and Outreach and places like that are. I'm a, I'm a fan. But it's almost never as simple as just do more activities. Sometimes. And usually with diminishing happens. returns. I, I think to a certain degree, yes. But then there's diminishing returns once it reaches yes. a certain plateau, right? Amen. So that's why button number two for the, for the non-Picassos, Picassos will just say, work harder, study, figure it out. The great leaders go to button number two is the how button. I'm going to break it down and we're going to figure out how. You know, I live in Utah. There's lots of awesome mountains out here. I'm going to get you out here. To, we're going to do an event. We're going to have you speak to a bunch of our, our, of our leaders out here in Silicon Slope sometime. Yeah. When you're climbing a mountain, there's a lot of ways to get to the top, John. Okay? Mm-hmm. And one of the ways you make your stars, your Picassos, when you say go, they'll just go straight up to the top. But for guys or, or gals or people that can't just go straight to the top, they may need a Sherpa to take them up there, right? Mm-hmm. You may need to take some switchbacks on the way up there. Mm-hmm. And our job as leaders is to find individualized routes for individualized people. And if you don't have a leader that's going to help you with figuring out that route and it's going to be a Sherpa to help you get there, my first advice to the listeners is you probably need to be in an environment where you're going to get that. Uh, because shitty leaders, that's hard to fix. So let's so let's talk about the scenarios here. Say say I got a manager, yep, um, who's a, who's a player coach, right? They 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 they're being asked to either have some sort of quota or at least be responsible for some quota, but they also need to manage. I, I disagree with this approach. So do I. I. I don't think you can do both really effectively. But let's talk about the reality. It is what and it, it is. happens all the time, all the time. So and, and look, I'm a player coach. I'm a straight up player coach. I close deals, I manage accounts, and I'm trying to get Morgan up there. Okay. So what's some guy like me? How do I put the 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 structure in place? And what should the structure be for me to make sure that I, I make coaching the priority that it should be? First thing, a non-negotiable is we have to create expectancy. We have to have a coaching process, just like you're asking Morgan and you yourself, because you're a player, you have a sales process. The okay. question you better ask. John is, do I have a coaching process? So what is a coaching process? Okay. So What's a coaching process? Let's talk about that. So, yeah. so 95% plus of sales orgs have a sales process. The coaching process needs to be a, a way that you sit down one-on-one and we're, re- we're reinforcing the actual activities and skills that make you successful in the sales process. Right. Here's some examples of, of the way I would say my coaching process. First is a non-negotiable. Every member of the team needs to have a one-on-one with some frequency. If you're a highly transactional one uh, inside sales team, it might need to be every week. Okay. Yeah. The two levers on how you know the frequency, John, what's the, what's the cycle time look like, yeah. but also what's the frequency of the activity. If you're blowing out a hundred calls a day, a weekly one-on-one is probably a good thing to have. Okay. And this is different. And let me make sure I clarify. A one-on-one is different than a forecast review. Oh, totally different. I'm glad you brought that up. That's one of, so, you know, I have my seven deadly sins of, of sales, of one-on-one sales coaching. And that's yeah. one of them. Yeah. Uh, I call it flogging the forecast, right? Yeah. You just keep beating that pipeline over and over until you try to beat a deal out. And, and a one-on-one is only about one thing. Here's the, the, I want, I want every one of the listeners to think about this, John. I'm so glad you pushed pause, brother. It takes work to push pause on me sometimes. So nice work, man. <laughs> um, 
How many meetings does your do each of your reps have every day, every week, every month? That's shitloads, right? Tons. How many of them are 100% about their improvements? A one-on-one should be about how you're going to improve. You and me are both big sports fans, okay? Who's your college basketball team? I'm the NCAA just finished. Who's your college team? University of Maryland. Terps all the way, baby. Terps all the way. I'm, I'm a Tar Heel, okay? Uh, I'm a Tar Heel. You then. <laughs> we'll still be friends, but we both hate who? We both hate Duke, right? Yes, we do. We both, so we can come together in our hatred of Duke. There you go. And so Mike Krzyzewski, I can't hate him, John, because he's the most winningest coach of all time. Yep. I have a killer picture that everyone should think about. It's him in a timeout, and he's got a grease board. What is he doing in the grease board, John? You you probably haven't seen it, but you know him. What's he doing with that grease board in the timeout? What's he doing? Having a place, right? Next play. Yeah. If your timeouts, if your – think of your one-on-ones as calling timeout with your players, Okay. Okay. You have next play mentality, next play mentality, next play for the activities I do. If I have to tune my engine, there's only three conversations, John, in a one-on-one. So here's your coaching process. You need to have a process that says, if I am going to start with results, results to achieve relevancy. Number one, am I hitting what John Barrows wants me to do? If I'm Morgan and Morgan. So the answer is yes. I'm hitting what John wants me to do. If I'm now saying, okay, what about your personal aspirations, Morgan? Are you hitting what your personal aspirations? If that's yes, then I go to the last one. Let's look at your process. Does your sales process say you're going to stay in a good spot? If all those are yes, what's the biggest mistake that you think that a leader makes with that person, John? They just say, good. All right. See you next week. I'll leave you alone. Yeah. Awesome. I'm going to leave you alone. That's the biggest mistake we can make. Um, We need to coach those people too, because a a five to 10% improvement with that person is usually more than a 15 to 20% improvement with someone in the middle. Right. And also more important, Quality of coaching, John, this is important for your reps for your reps and your managers to hear. Quality of coaching is the number one driver of intent to stay with the company. You want to lose your stars? No. No. So you no. know what the conversation is, John? Here's, you're going to like this. The name of that conversation, how good can you get, man? And That's you need to have a way of modeling. What's this one thing worth? If I change this, tweak this one thing, holy crap, that's worth 18%. That's worth $4 million. And your stars, they eat that shit up. They eat it up. So it starts. So it, it so it does start with the goal setting, though. And it, and it, and is this like obviously company revenue setting as far as what you got to hit your numbers, and then we back into those. But then is there that personal component of of self development outside of results? Is and it has to be. And how concrete do you get with those goals? So that's why you want to make sure that you understand their personal aspirations. You probably heard me say, uh, am I hitting what John Barrows wants, but what about your personal aspirations? Personal aspirations needs to be part of the coaching process. And too often it's not. Too often people just feel like I'm just a number. I got news for everybody out here. Spreadsheet coaching needs to go away. It's one of the biggest problems. All I look at is your ratios. Those matter. But if if you're not taking someone on a journey that they want to go on, then you're not going to be the legendary leader. You're not going to be that person that changed a career. I mean, John, I'm so glad you said that. We, our, our customers that build coaching process, yes, we use results to establish relevancy. Because yeah. if you aren't able to do the results, then there's something else wrong. Sometimes it's personal things that are wrong, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. And, um, and one of the things that we've learned is career development needs to be part of the one-on-one. Are we taking you places in your career that you want to go? For the incoming sales generation, that's a massive deal, John. So let me ask you this. Is this an old way of thinking? Um, so my, I, you know, and, and I know we're going to get into this. So this is kind of to a certain degree a segue of the distribution of talent, right? You got your top, you got your A, a reps, your B reps, and your C reps. Yep. And I've always been taught that, you know, with your A reps, 
you 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 over communicate with them. So you tell them everything that's going on with the business and all that other stuff. And you let the, and you set very long term goals with them and you allow them to kind of pick it up. Right. So, yeah, outside of your target this year, if you hit that, like personally, what do you want to do if you get one hundred and thirty percent a quarter or something like that? So hey, I want to drive a Beamer. I want to you know, I want an extra week off, whatever it is. And you and so they shape it. Right. Whereas your B reps. A little bit more uh, midterm, short-term goals this quarter, this month, that type of stuff. And you work on things together, but it's a little bit more action-driven. Whereas your C-reps, your C-reps are your C-reps for a reason, right? They, they, they're they they're used to losing, right? So they, they, they kind of have negative momentum on losing. So what you have to do to change that is you have to be very, very short-term with your goals. So you look at it and say, okay, today, can you make 50 dials today? Great. Tomorrow, can you make 50 dials and get a meeting? Great. Next day, can you make 50 dials, get a meeting and, you know, a a next step, right? So you've got to get them back on the winning track, but you don't really look long-term with them as from a, from a, personal standpoint because you're trying to get them out of that shit rut that they're in is that an old antiquated way of looking at it or is that still have some sort of uh uh solace to it no the reason that i I think that there's relevance there but i would i would say that i would take that with a twist john Mm -hmm. is what you just described was individualized coaching for individualized people fair to say I think that's still the thing. You need to have individualized plans for individualized people. You heard me say purpose-driven activities. I, I have fun with them. When I speak, we both speak at a lot of things. I, I say the secret is not more A, more activities. It's more PDA. And I'm not talking about public displays of affection. I'm yeah. talking about more purpose-driven activities. Okay. So for your stars, there may be some short-term things like, you know, you need to take this class or maybe you need to work this, you know, do this very specific thing. Sometimes it may be long-term. I'm not going to say it's always for a star, it's more long-term and always for someone that's down at the sea, it's always short-term. I'm not going to say that. Mm-hmm. What I'm going to say is it always needs to be something that's relevant to what they're trying to accomplish relative to the company and their personal goals. And that's why, again, you know Keenan well. We did a study with Keenan and with Gong, who you also know well. The three of us put together what I think was a really compelling coaching study, John. This is super important for your listeners as well, because I think you know all of us really well. Oh, yeah. yep. 48% of reps say they never get coaching, ever. Yep. Only 13% say it's any good. Mm-hmm. Now, that's no big deal. Here's the big deal, John. We talked to the managers of those same people, and we asked the managers, how good are you at coaching? What do you think the manager said? Uh, fantastic. I'm great. We're at the it. greatest. Yeah. We're crushing it. We yeah. only need more leads. We don't need help coaching our people. Just give us more leads and we're good to go. Okay. Yeah. And so this is why if you're a manager of people, you should stop right now and say, hmm, because here's what I've learned, John. The managers aren't lazy. They actually try. Here's what they do. I was, I was with a, a VP of sales of a company you would know well. And I was having this conversation with him. He's like, yeah, Rob, I think my guys do pretty good. I said, tell me why. Here's what they said. I want your take on this, John. This will be fun. He said, number one, we're, we're hitting our number. We're hitting our number. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Number two, I talk to them all the time. Like, I know we know our guys. We know them well. Yep. Number three, you're smiling big now because I, 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 you probably hear this. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm really connected to all of the deals. Okay. Number four, we don't have a massive turnover problem. Yeah. What's the one thing that's missing from that? Development. You got it. He didn't have anything on here's how they're improving. Yeah. And I think, again, another common friend, we keep talking about these common friends, Doug Landis, you know, who we both love. uh, He and I spend a lot of time talking about this. I agree with Doug. He told me he thinks the most important thing a sales productivity leader or a sales manager can say, 
what is my plan for having X percent fill it in for you? It might be 1%, might be 10%. I don't care what it is. Do I have a plan with every rep, how they're going to improve by X percent over this period of time? And the reason that most miss John is they think about all of the quantifiable things. Like I know all the deals and all these things. Do you have a unique plan for every person? Do you, or are you just talking to them? Because that's where I think that modern sales leaders are doing better than the old sales leaders. They try to put everybody in these boxes, and I don't. I think there's three categories. How good can you get? Do I need to tune my engine? Do I need to tune my deals? And then the last one, am I taking my career in a place that I'm excited about? See, it's, it's what I, and I, I used to do this with my team and, and a little bit of management coaching back when I was at Basho was we would identify like the, the 20 or 30 different categories of stuff that you needed to be successful in that role. Okay. And it was, you know, you know, cold call, you know, whatever it was like relationship development, teamwork, uh, you know, time management, all these different things. And we would go in and we would rate people on a scale. Like I would rank them and then they would rank them. Like I would say, here's how I think you do on these areas and then marry it up. Right. And see where the differences were. That was always an interesting exercise, but it also then identified, okay, where are the weakest, like, where do we need to focus on for your coaching plan? So it kind of leads me to this conversation with you is I've always been a, Hey, let's focus on your strengths and minimize your weaknesses. From a coaching standpoint, though, what, how, should coach, how should sales coaches and managers look at weaknesses versus strengths and, 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 how to, yeah, and just how to approach that? It's such a great question, John. I'm so glad you asked that. I, another large, it's a billion-dollar company that's one of our customers, and we started our relationship with them. That his philosophy was, we, his quote was, we fix the lowest form of broken behavior. That's what it was. Our mission is to fix the, and it makes, I like it. There's a lot of reasons that instantly like makes total sense. Fix the lowest form of broken behavior. Mm-hmm. Again, if you go back to what I believe is what modern leadership's about, it's creating individual pathways for individual people. Now, sometimes, John, it's as simple as let's get the thing that you're the least adept at and get better at it. Let's see if we can get better. But sometimes if you have a killer, if you have a kick-ass strength, you know, maybe you find, can I do more of that? Can I actually double down on that? Well, because that's what my problem has always been. It's like my weaknesses are my weaknesses for a reason. I don't like, I don't fucking like doing them. You know what I mean? So, so get me in a position where I can do the shit that I love to do that I'm great at and help me minimize my weaknesses so that they don't, they don't get in the way of my strengths. Yes. That's more my philosophy is let's let's put some things in place so that my weaknesses don't hurt me. But really, if I'm going to focus my energy, I'm going to focus on what am I great at? Yes. And so that's why let's look at yourself. I wish we could hit rewind on this and go watch yourself. So when you ask the question, you're like, okay, you know, Rob, is it this or is it this? And as soon as I answer it and you got like, yes, I want to do my strengths. Do you see how animated you got talking about doubling down on your strengths? Yep. You, you got to get that reaction with your reps. You want them to be fired up about the conversation because here's the biggest difference, John. We've, we're talking about mistakes that we make and, and I, I hate talking about where people suck at coaching or whatever. I just, I always want to say how we get better, but we had a conversation that what a great coach would do is say, John, let's figure out what those strengths are and what you are going to do more of first. Mm-hmm. And we get a commitment. Conversations don't equal commitment. Just like a rep, if a rep has a killer conversation with a prospect, but you get no commitment, you make what I call a professional friend, okay? Yep. Leaders have the same problem. That's why sales and management are a lot more alike than people give credit because 
a rep has to find what the, what the prospect values and then helps them create a path and commitment that they get there. Leaders need to find out what the rep values and then create a path and commitment to get them there. And so what you and me should be talking about is we're going to make commitments on, okay, so you're doing this. You want to double down on that? Okay, let's go from here to here. What's getting in the way? This thing is getting in the way. You don't have to become an expert at this, but if we can make that so you suck just a little less at it, or maybe you do the things you're great at slightly differently so you don't bump into that, and then we get commitments where we're saying, yes, I'm going to do that. Here's how we're going to check back. Rob, here's how you can be helpful in helping me do that. And you get commitments. That's why I think coaching fails is reps are not change averse, John. Here's what I found, my man. Reps are not averse to change because they want to win too bad. You know what they're averse to? is shitty coaching. That's what they're averse to. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that, that rep that gets shitty coaching, right? So, so there's, you know, I think a small percentage of companies that, that put their coaches and their managers in a position to be successful and really coach the right way. There's a much larger, so this is kind of the distribution of talent, right? There's the much larger middle ground where you have coaches and managers who want to do the right thing, but just don't have a structure and a process around it. And then there's a large group of people who just straight up suck at coaching and and, and are deal chasers and are the numbers driven type of thing. So I want to talk about that rep who's sitting there saying, I don't, I have no confidence that my manager can coach me really well and I need coaching. Is there some stuff that you can recommend for a rep to self-coach and help themselves get to that next level that, and then we'll translate to the next levels here. But let's talk about that rep out there that is just like, man, I'm not getting the support that I need. I want to get better to your point. We're not lazy. We want to get better, but I don't know how. And, and, and and I'm being told to do shit that, that I don't really agree with. And I need outside of getting a new job, right. And looking for a really good coach. How can you coach yourself to get better in a way that gives that commitment to you? Right. There's one thing you said, the plan with us, just a good friend. Um, But there's that, okay, there's a commitment here and I need to have a commitment with myself to be better. How do you do that? So first of all, this is a really important question because so many are poor coaches. Now that said, here's what I do think. I think most managers want to be good coaches. So the first thing that I would do is I would have a conversation with my manager that you want specific things in your development. You want their help. I would go to them and enlist their help because John, I think that most sales managers, they became a manager because they want to help teams improve. Mm-hmm. And so I would first start with that. That's the, my first place I would go to is say, hey, I need a little more and I need, you know, this kind of direction. Now, I also will say that you said something else. If you got a bad leader, a bad leader is a reason to leave a company. It is, mm-hmm. period, end of story. But I'm not going to take it back. I'm going to answer your question now. Yeah. I would start with looking at if you're in B2B, I would start by understanding what are the building blocks. And I would get really good at self-assessing, self-correcting, almost like a GPS, right? And you've, I don't have to regurgitate what you've said. You've got to know your numbers first. You've got to be able to do your equation. If you don't want to talk about it, go look at John Barrow's stuff because that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And uh, John, I can't say it better than you do, but you and me both agree on that. Mm-hmm. I think it's the rep has a responsibility to know their own equation. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And, and just for clarification, just- there's only four pistons that make a B2B sales engine go. Okay. Number of opportunities, revenue per customer, win rate, and speed. With those four things, if you can look at what are the activities that make me get more opportunities, what are the activities that make me get more revenue per customer, what are the activities that change win rate, 
What are the activities that change cycle time? And I look at cycle time by start to close, but also by stage. Mm-hmm. If you have six stages and you can shave out four or five days in a stage, holy crap, you just took a month out of a cycle time, John. Mm-hmm. And the stuff you train people on are the, exactly the activities that fit those four, those four pistons. Mm-hmm. Let me give you an example. I have, oh, I get, I get, uh, I, I'm making plenty of calls, but they're not converting into demos. Well, then you're probably doing shitty outreach or you need to A-B test or you need. And so if I'm looking at those things and I, I can now start self-correcting, I have proposals that get stuck on the vine. They, I propose and then you go anywhere. I see this all the time, John, when we go in, I see it's a very common place. It happens so often. I always start there when I look at people's uh, stages and I, our tech, as you know, identifies speed by stage as well as start to finish. No. When I see people that are hung up at the proposal stage, do you want to know what I found the, the number one reason for that is? Uh, I, I got my reason. It's usually uh, not, they don't engage with the decision makers, the p- power. Yeah. So it's that and uh, the way you delivered the freaking proposal, the way uh, you deliver it. Okay. okay. Like, too many people send an email with something along these lines. Here's you know the proposal. If you have any questions, give me a call. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. You're laughing because you know I'm right. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, well, like, it's funny. So we use uh, so you know I use a scorecard, right? The Give Get Scorecard, yeah. and I use yeah. this to a certain degree from a coaching standpoint because what happened, and this is you know Morgan, another perfect example here. He was an SDR and an SDR manager, right? And so when he came on board here, our three main personas are VPs of sales, VPs of enablement, CROs. Now, he didn't really know how to speak that language, right? So I was coaching him on how to speak that language. So in the short term, I said, look, I want you to just get some, some wins under your belt. So start calling into SDR managers, right? Because, right. you know, he's a, he's a celebrity in the SDR world. So yeah. no problem. And so, now, and so we got a bunch of SDR managers getting like, holy shit, Morgan Ingram, you're now with Jay Barrows with the Jay Barrows content. Absolutely. We, we need this, okay? And so I had them all score all these deals. And what happened was he got a great a bunch of great conversations. And he got 15 deals in his pipeline, like real early too, like 15 Damn. deals out of the gate. I'm like, great. And every week he was telling me, oh, these are definitely going to close. They're definitely going to close. They're definitely going to close. And I'm like, uh-huh, sure, right? And I, I wasn't too hard on his forecast reviews because I didn't I wanted, I wanted to prove a point to a certain degree. And, and I let six weeks go by. So I let six weeks go by where every week he's telling me, definitely going to close all 15 deals. And after six weeks, I said, Morgan, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go look at the scorecards of all of the deals that you're working on right now. And I want you to tell me what's missing. There's something missing on every single one of them. What is it? And it came back to me in the checkbox of meeting with power. It wasn't there. Mm -hmm. He He hadn't engaged with power in any of those 15 deals. So now as a manager, now I know what to coach him on. So instead of coaching him on individual deals, I'm now taking a step back and saying, I have to now coach him on how to get to power earlier in the sales process. And I'm making it so that he can't forecast a deal if he doesn't have power in there. So it's almost like a forcing function to say, look, I don't give a shit about any of your deals until you access power, right? Yeah. So it's a way to pinpoint something to coach on because I think that's the hardest thing that uh, that managers have is, you know, I get all these different reps or all these different areas and, and, and I don't know. So that's why they dive to deals and talk about individual deals, because that's the easy thing to talk about. Right. It's harder to talk about a, a component of the sales process that you have to coach to to level up across the board. Which is why I love tune the engine and tune the deal. So first, is my engine throwing enough uh, out enough horsepower that I can expect if I get good at how I engage these deals that I can win? That's why tune the deal first. Okay, tune the engine first. Second is exactly what you said. And my version of your song, I got a, a second verse to your first verse that you just sang, brother. Yeah. And 
what I would suggest to these people. So the first thing was make sure you get that horsepower in your engine, those four pistons. You know, that's a non-negotiable. If you don't have enough horsepower in your engine, your engine, engine ain't going to get you there. Is that fair to say? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, in the deals, I love your example of, of this one on getting access to power. That's such a good example. Um, like my example of the way you deliver a proposal. It's amazing. I, it's as simple as don't deliver a proposal unless they're on the phone. Then you hit send, and then you talk through it. Because first I set up, there will be no new information that we've already talked about. So I want to make sure that when you get it right now, there's no questions, right? And that's one of our rules. We don't ever send people proposals. We get them on the phone and then we send them and we talk about them. Yes. And it's, you'd be blown away how much that changes win rates and speed, by the way, those two mm-hmm. things. Okay, that's a free tip to everyone that's listening. Here's the second thing though, that I would say, tune the deals. Everyone has stages, John, and everyone has activities. Not enough people have what I call buyer verifiers. And you may have talked about this, okay? Mm-hmm. So we need to have our sales engagement create buyer engagement. And so if you're a rep that feels like I'm being asked to do a bunch of this shit up here, which we need to do, but it's not getting me where I want to go and I don't know what to do about it, I would advise you to spend time talking to high performers, other leaders, people like that. What are the physical or the agreements that you need to get from customers at every stage along the way? Early on, it's access to time, you know, and and then it's access to power to your point. And you need to know for every stage, what's the buyer verifier that you can say, I got that. Love your story about Morgan because that's a verifier, right? Absolutely. And you need to know that for every stage. And usually, John, it's only one and no more than two things per stage. No if it's question. more than that, you're doing it wrong. See, we, we, so that's what we do. Like we take the scorecard, the give, get scorecard and say there's like 20 gives and gets, right? Yep. And you, probably, you know, one to 20, one to 20. And, you know, one through five is usually stage one. Six through 10 is usually stage two. Ten, you know, 11 through is stage three. And there's always a primary get that you need at each one of those stages before you move to the next stage. Yep, so yep. You, you have to get, you know, the decision criteria. You have to get, you know, whatever, a meeting with power to be able to move it from stage three to stage four. Um, and, and that's the easy thing about coaching, right? Because then once you identify those must gets, if you will, to move it from each stage, then you can coach the reps on getting those things. Because a lot of times those are the those are the awkward things that reps don't want to get or don't want to ask for or forget about because it's either awkward to ask for or whatever. And that's a pure coaching moment. Amen. So that's why I say, man, if you want to coach yourself, learn to tune your engine and then learn to tune your deals. And it's not by being a pest. It's by saying, can my purpose-driven activities get me verifiers? Mm-hmm. If you can look at that and say, I'm not getting this verifier, John, uh, can you help me learn how to get this verifier? And if you got a leader who's not doing what you said that you figured out with Morgan in this case, mm-hmm. access to power was the thing. And it's interesting because we see the same thing. We, we sell to enablement. We sell to heads of sales. And it's easy to get people that don't have power excited. And it happens to us all the time, John. Yeah. We actually, you know, as this is a, this is a, to, to dub actually as a third uh, level to, to the conversation, um, Morgan. So I typically, because I've been doing this for so long, the way I work is, you know, you and I have a conversation, I'm qualifying you, whatever. And I send you over a PDF that outlines the details of the program, the pricing, whatever. It's just kind of a more of a sales doc, if you will. Uh, and then we have another call and you tell me what you want. And then I just send you an SOW. So it's just an SOW. Here's the price. Here's the terms. There's no quote unquote proposal in the middle of that. Right. I love that. So, but that's for me because, because I've been doing this for so long and I got a big fat pipeline and I don't want your business. I, I don't need your business. I want it. Right. So I, I have a lot of confidence. Now, Morgan getting into this, there, there's the, the give get of getting the power, right? There's got to be an excuse to get the power. And I think delivering the proposal is a great excuse. So for instance, hey, Rob, thanks so much for your time. You want a proposal? 
Fantastic. You know what? You had said earlier that these three other people are involved in the decision-making process. So I can make sure that I get everybody's, you know, so I can make sure that this proposal is exactly what you're looking for. Um, can, can I get about 10 to 15 minutes on their calendar? Right. And, and just so I can ask them a few quick questions. Now you're going to push back and say, you know what, John, I'm the guy, I'm the guy, right? Whatever. Okay, Rob, you know what, when can I deliver this proposal to you and the other people involved so I can walk you through it? So you have all the information you need, right? Now, those two things sound pretty normal to ask for, right? And if you shoot me down on both of those, I'm concerned, right? You're screwed already. Before you're screwed you already. Yeah. But you have to have something to deliver, right? An SOW is not. So what we actually did with Morgan was we created a proposal. We created a reason to deliver. So it's, it maps out, here's your priorities, here's how our stuff aligns, and, it's, and there's meat to it. So now he has, he is a justified, hey, let me now walk you through this proposal so I can answer any questions. Whereas before it was just an SOW. So it's like, what am I going to walk you through? So we actually had to manufacture a reason for him to go to get to power. And I recommend actually a lot of managers out there, if they don't have that, because I'm a thousand percent on board with you, don't just send over the proposal and say, giddy up, call me if you have any questions deliver it to them. So if you don't have something complex enough, I would almost manufacturing something that's complex enough to give the reps a chance. It's funny that you say that. I had uh, a CRO call me that's working with our sales team and we've become friends through just, we're in the we're all in this business together. And he's like, hey man, you got this deal. You should be excited. He goes, but just between you and me, we should try and get together and we should beef up that, that uh, statement of work just to make sure that because our kind of company wants to know exactly what we're buying. Yep. Because it's so weird, John. That's why you got to connect to everybody. Some people get like, that's too much shit. I don't want to see all that stuff. I just want to know how long, how much, et cetera. And then you get other people like, I need to know the whole deliverable. I got to have, that's why it's so important to connect to those power people and ask the questions. Right. Happened to me, this is a large medical device company that I know you would know. They hit me up, said, hey, I got two VPs that we got to get on board to get this done. Can you send me something that I can help them, you know, really see what we're doing? And rather than, because of course we have stuff. You have, everybody has stuff. Yeah. Followed up, said, happy to do it. Can you tell me, uh, what the initiatives are that these guys are working on so I can make sure that what we send. All I said was that. Yep. You tell me exactly what's big for them right now. You'd be blown away how I got a blueprint for each dude, okay? And we're not sending them anything like that. And we're not going to send them anything. We're going to walk them through stuff that we custom put together for them because this is a big enough deal. It makes sense. Mm -hmm. That's what, what you're doing is exactly what I believe, John. Everyone needs unique pathways. And I loved your question. If you got... If you're on your own, come back to what you just said. Tune your engine. What are the activities that make your engine create horsepower? Understand what are the gets? What are the verifiers? What are the ways that you know you have created buyer engagement? Because I love this, John. A salesperson could do damn near everything except for close a deal. We can do all of it. We just can't force them to sign. Right. And you've done this. I mean, how many of the people here, if we could see them in a room and we were co-presenting together, we got to do that sometime. That'll be fun for us to do. Okay. Mm -hmm. How many people have done everything right and still lost a deal? My hands up. My hands up. What about the other? You have screwed it up 10 different ways and somehow you still won. Yep. My hands up. Yep. Anybody who says no to one of those is either lying or they're new to sales. Yep. This is why the gets, this is why the verifiers, this is why buyer engagement is so important. Mm -hmm. If I could give one metaphor, John, and I'm sorry if this is a soapbox, but I'm passionate about it, you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> it's a toll road, okay? We're on a toll road, we're driving along, we come to the toll booth, the only person that can pay the toll is the buyer. If you're not getting that toll paid by the buyer, I got news for you. You think you've moved through that toll booth? You ain't, you're still back there. 
And you can move along and say that I think I got it, but until you got it, you don't. And that I think is the best way for a rep to learn to self-correct and self-coach is to have a good understanding. And if you got a shitty leader that hasn't helped you know what those gets are, take charge, you know, reach out, build an initiative, build momentum around this, because it won't just be you that benefits from it. The rest of the team will benefit from it and your whole career will be better as a result. Love it. All right, man. So well, last topic here, because um, I, I, I love your your new thought process on on this, you know, coaching the middle, right? Moving just the middle, right? And 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 kind of the old philosophy of really as your manager, as a manager, your only job is to get your your B reps to, to be A reps, coach them to be A's, and pretty much fuck your C's. Like your C's suck. Don't waste time with them, right? Yep. Um, old school, new school. What are your thoughts around that? So. You refer, this is a really hot spot as well. I'm, the reason I'm glad you brought it up, John, I'm thank you that you did because I'm seeing people starting talking about the middle again. I'm seeing it come back. CEB, awesome company. They wrote the challenger sale. They, I was, when I was running sales at a multi, I was responsible for 3 billion in sales, had about a thousand reps. Um, I had a membership to CEB. I spent over 30 grand a year for it. And it was awesome. Yep. In 2005, they wrote the original science-based study on moving the middle. Now, John, the number one technology move of the time in 2005 was YouTube was formed, okay? Um, the number one CRM provider of the time was Siebel, okay? <laughs> Salesforce on that, on, that, uh, on that chart from IDC and Gartner was, it's an emerging company to keep our eye on. And because Wi-Fi wi now is standardized, we actually think CRM on, the, on demand may have a place, okay? <laughs> yep. In 2005, sales was different, brother. And that's when this study came out from CEB that said, here's the middle, here's your bell curve. First of all, everybody has 10% stars, 70% middle, 20% poor, or 10, 80, 10. John, we have hundreds of teams that we manage and we look at. We see less than 2% on a pretty 10 70, 20, or a 10, 80, 10. Nobody's like that. It's mm -hmm. polarized. There are those that get it, those that don't, and a few in the middle that are on a pathway, okay? Here's what we found. Back then, they said there's a, there's a bottleneck. It takes three to five hours per rep per month. You probably heard that stat, okay? Mm -hmm. Three to five hours of coaching per rep per month in order to have effectiveness. Mm -hmm. That's because we didn't have good data. We had shitty sales tools. and ever, It was hard to find root cause. We couldn't tune the engine and we couldn't tune the deal. Today we can. We have amazing tools like what your friends and mine at SalesLoft and Outreach and so many others, the gongs and the courses and all these awesome companies that have changed the way we do things. But here's what I've learned, John. Data doesn't change people. People change people. And so today you can't say at the bottom this report, and if anybody wants it, hit me up. I'll send you the report. 2005 says you can't coach the dogs out of the kennel. That's what it says. You yeah. say that today, you will never hire anybody. Okay. <laughs> on the top, it says 10% on the top. They're already as good as they're going to get. It's only small improvements and it's only 10% of your team anyway. So just hope you don't lose them. Literally, that's what it says. Yeah. And in the middle, if you can get a 10%, 15% better, then you win. Yeah. I say bullshit. That's, that's, that study said, whatever you do, don't try and shift the curve. We have a big study coming out in about three weeks, four weeks, John. I'll send it to you. I hope that you'll share it with your people. That yeah. shows a study based on over 100 teams, scientific, what happened year over year in the year 2018. Modern data. You can shift curves and you can shift them fast. Because here's why, John. Reps want to improve. And if you can connect with them, if you can be relevant to where they are relative to their goals, and you can create commitments on how they create purpose to their activities, you'd be blown away how fast people want to change.
Mm-hmm. That's what I would say today. If you're a sales leader, you owe a responsibility to your team to say, I'm shifting curves this year. I'm shifting curves next year. I'm not just going to say, thank God you fell into the middle and now you get some of my time. And I'll finish with this, John. The big idea of that 2005, and you, you're right, I am on a soapbox, bro. And I'm, I'm preaching now. Keep going, with him. Keep going. Okay. Uh, the big idea in 2005 was you allocate time based on what your production is, the middle. Okay. Mm-hmm. Here's what I would tell you now. Start measuring responsiveness to coaching. If you want to know how, it's as simple as setting coaching goals every month in your one-on-ones or every week in your one-on-ones and measuring. Do we do it? Coaching goals are never hit this deal. It's do this activity. It's get this verifier. It's do this. Mm-hmm. And if we can now get into the point where we're measuring coachability, here's the big idea. I'll get a one-on-one. My discretionary time goes to those that respond to coaching, no matter how good you are. See, I was, was going to ask you, right? Because great, you know, A's, B's, and C's and all that other stuff. But the ones that, the ones that you should put your effort into are the ones who are open and, and take to coaching. The ones that don't. Um, I mean, there's, there's some stuff out there, even in your top reps. If your top reps aren't open to coaching, there's a strong uh, case I could make to fire in those top reps. Because if they're not coachable, again, you pretty much just have to hold your breath because they're going to they're gonna leave eventually. They're going to do something and they're probably going to disrupt your team because they're not going to follow through. And if you got your B's and C's paying attention to wanting to be like your A's and your A's an asshole not taking any of the coaching, then the B's and C's, it's going to be hard to reinstill that to your B's and C's, right? You're dead on. So the big idea is not what's your production that gets you my time. It's your responsiveness to coaching. Okay. And John, it's one of the things, again... I don't come here to push my company, but it's oh. we're the only ones that I know that measure that. I agree. And and if you aren't as a leader measuring coaching, you don't have to buy my stuff. Reach out. I will show you how to do it. It's as simple mm-hmm. as set coaching goals and then track who hits them and who doesn't. Okay. And if you start looking at that and you compare coachability to process and process to outcomes, you'll find shifting the curve is not like this big, wild dream. It's super scientific. You won't be a Picasso. You will be that person just below Picasso, but you can shift them, okay? And you'll do it fast. And and then what happens? You have a dynasty. If you get to the point where everybody's gotten to the point where it's no longer tuning the engine and tuning the deal, it's how good can you get? Mm -hmm. Brother, you're Bill Belichick, and you just built a dynasty. There you go, my friends. I love it. Awesome, man. Well, again, uh, we could go on for days on this shit because you I, and I, we, I think I, I think both you and I live on soapboxes. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so that's why I love talking to you, my friend. So let's uh, let, so let the audience know. Um, you said if if you got managers out there, you know, reach out to you. What's the best way to follow what you're doing and, and get in touch with you, Rob? I'm heavy on LinkedIn, like you and many others. Follow me on LinkedIn. We spend a lot of we share a lot of content. We got great stuff. In fact, our leadership book just came out, and and in like a week, we had it downloaded over five thousand times. It, it, it showcased you, John. Uh-huh. Uh, your contract that was a super successful leadership book. Uh, go to exvoyant.com. Um, but I'm telling you, hit me up. And I love our profession. I'm passionate. I want to help managers change how they lead. And, you know, come to XY, hit me up and I will give you, like, I'm like you, John, 90% of what you do, you give people because you love the profession. I do the same thing. I will give, give, give as much as I can. I want to help our reps. Here's what I'll finish with, John. I believe the manager's job is to help reps do their very best work so they can live their very best life. Find me on LinkedIn, find me on XY.com and I will do everything I can to help you do that. Love it, my friends. Awesome. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much. And everybody out there, make it a great week. Go out there and make somebody happy. If you do nothing else today, go make somebody smile. If you do, you know you had a good day. So thank you all very much and make it happen.
Thanks, Rob. See you, Rob.